episode 256, a major healthcare cost driver revealed misdiagnoses in radiology. Today, I speak with Ron Vianu, founder and CEO over at Covera Health. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. You know how in JAMA recently it said that 25% or more of healthcare spending is frittered away wastefully? Some of that wasteful spending comes from unnecessary care. And some of that unnecessary care happens when a patient is misdiagnosed and then based on that misdiagnosis gets care for the wrong thing. And wrong thing care obviously isn't going to fix the actual problem because its intention is to fix something else. How do some of these misdiagnoses occur? Considering all of the diagnoses that begin with an MRI or a CT scan or an ultrasound or some other kind of imaging, it's not hard to gin up the thought that if a radiology report or radiology veers into the not exactly correct zone, then you have a treatment plan immediately zipping off on a poor quality and likely wasteful trajectory. That's what I speak with Ron Vianu about today. Ron, by the way, is the founder and CEO over at Covera Health. Today, we don't have time, Ron and I, to get into the AI, artificial intelligence, and machine learning in radiology aspect. But spoiler alert, a follow-up on that is forthcoming. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Ron Vianu, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you for having me. Why is radiology so important relative to the outcomes and costs that patients may or may not achieve? I think the first thing to mention with respect to that question is that most people are not even thinking of radiology. And so if you look at all of the activity in the market today, as it relates to quality, whether it be around surgical outcomes, lots of folks are talking about failed back and the unnecessary back surgeries that are happening in this country, diabetes, a variety of things that are really taking headlines, if you will. Very few people are talking about radiology. And, and part of the reason is because it's presumably, or rather it's presumed to be by most folks, a commodity. And from our perspective, from our research, we've discovered that one, there's enormous amount of variability with respect to how radiology is performed and interpreted. And because radiology is not really a siloed specialty where it's for a particular type of patient, radiology really is across all specialties. They are the foundation of orthopedics, oncology, the list goes on and on. They're foundational really for every single patient that ultimately requires any sort of advanced care. Anywhere you look, you'll often run across the anecdote, or actually at this point, it's a data point that says, you know, the average patient will drive by three less expensive radiology facilities on their way to the one that they ultimately use. Or like, for example, my, I have a, a friend the other day, just totally coincidentally, who was saying that she is going to a hospital to get an MRI, but her payer called her and said that she could go to this other place and save $2,700. From what I'm understanding, you have kind of an issue with all of that goings on. Well, the issue primarily is that it makes sense to shop for value. I mean, we do that in every aspect of our lives, whether we're buying automobiles or computers or TVs. I mean, that's fundamentally how we look at that experience. 
When it comes to radiology, though, there is very little correlation between price and quality that been, that's been demonstrated in the market. So you could get that $3,000 MRI in one community, and it may, in fact, be the best MRI in that community. In some communities, it may not be the best, and it may be mid-level or it may be the worst. Similarly, if you're being driven to or incentivized to be sent to a lower-cost provider, that provider may in fact be worse or may be better. And the, the real problem is that there's no visibility. And so for a patient to say, oh, I can save $600 and for the payer to say yes, and we'll equally save a certain number of dollars in order to reroute you to that facility, nobody really has good data-driven insights into how that's going to impact the patient's care. And when we think about impact, we think about one thing. What is the likelihood of that patient walking out of either imaging center with an accurate diagnosis. And if there's a 30% chance less that it'll happen in center A over center B, then we should avoid center A. But that data is not available to the payer and that data is not available to the patient. And from what you said before, what I'm understanding is that a lot of this has to do with the radiologist that's reading it. You know, you've got an oncologist or you have an, you know, an orthopedic surgeon or you have a GI gastroenterologist. Those people are highly specialized in exactly what they're doing, whereas a radiologist is pretty much expected, you know, it's like rotator cuff one minute and then, you know, liver tumor the next. I guess the, the point is, how can you be great at everything? And perhaps that, you know, maybe quality isn't some kind of universal statement. Maybe quality in different specialties is how we should be looking at that. So the brief answer is yes. But if you look at those other specialties that you're referring to, even within those specialties, depending on where in the country or the world you're going, you'll find that, you'll, that there'll be physicians who are more generalist in nature who are going to be dealing with all those things, even though they're not experts in any one of those things. And so orthopedic surgeons is a great example. You have some orthopedic surgeons that will do uh, joint replacements, sports procedures across a variety of uh, different joints where maybe each and every one of those, they don't have the same level of experience or training. Because at the end of the day, it really is the physician's choice and the choice arguably of the environment that they work in with respect to what they can and can't do. And so radiology is no different. In some practices within radiology, you may have, may have one physician that all they look at all day is liver. That's all they do. So every single study that involves the liver that radiologist or a group of radiologists will look at it, whereas in other practices, you may have every radiologist looking at every single body part, every pathology. And to your point, if you don't have a certain level of experience and expertise in a particular area, you're likely to drive a higher degree of inaccuracy. And there's countless of those examples of people getting misdiagnosed again and again in, the, in those circumstances. The scary part is that for the most part, people don't know when they were misdiagnosed. That diagnosis is then attached to their medical record. All the subsequent physicians are then utilizing this as a basic foundational data point as it relates to how to treat that patient. And ultimately, the treatment will be misguided and the patient won't do well. And there'll never be an understanding that they didn't do well because they didn't know what was wrong with the patient to begin with. And relative to this point that you're making, that the MRI or the imaging study tends to be the guiding, you know, the North Star in anyone's treatment, because it is the diagnosis, people are going to treat to the diagnosis. So if the diagnosis is wrong, then the treatment could be horribly wrong, probably on some kind of continuum. Has there been any research or a study into how pervasive this issue is? Several years back, we conducted very much a, a study that you're describing where we wanted to understand a, a few things. One, what really is the variability of how a patient would be diagnosed from a center to center? Two, 
maybe equally or more importantly, to what degree would that variability impact that patient's care? To the extent that you, we, what we'd want to understand is, would a patient go down care pathway A versus care pathway B based on the variability that we would ultimately find or not find within that study. And so the way that study was constructed, we teamed up with special surgery in New York City and Jefferson and, and, and PA, and one patient was sent to 12 imaging center, uh, centers over a three-week period to have her low back imaged with an MRI. The imaging centers were blinded to this study. The patient presented with the same exact data each and every time with a script that said low back pain with left leg involvement. And ultimately, when the results were evaluated by HSS and Jefferson to understand what degree of variability exists, what were the error rates, it really shed light on a problem in a much more significant way than we even thought existed. And so as kind of an illustrative example, if you looked at the reports that were provided on behalf of this patient with respect to her pathology that were the most different, they didn't even appear to be the same patient. And by that, I mean, there were very few, if any, overlapping findings so that when you would take those reports and then present them to other physicians and say, hypothetically, if this were your patient, what treatment would you recommend for this patient? And if they then referenced treatment guidelines for low back pain, they would have sent that patient down very different pathways. Well, that's pretty not reassuring because how do you know what's correct then? It's not reassuring, but I argue to folks to say, well, it shouldn't be surprising because there seems to be an instinct around a very similar problem in all other areas of healthcare. Meaning I think if you ask a, an individual on the street and say, if you present to three orthopedic surgeons, do you expect to get the same response from them with respect to your care? And I think most people would say, no, I think that one surgeon may recommend X and another surgeon may recommend Y. In the world of radiology, because it's historically been perceived as a commodity, people have presumed that the data coming out of radiology is objective and can then be relied upon. And so what, what, what we're doing is both educating the community that this problem exists, working in partnership with providers and payers, ultimately to help patients to understand the nature of the problem, give in, uh, critical feedback to the providers who are participating with us so that they can improve the care of the patients within their practices, and similarly help the payers that work with us understand ultimately how their patients should be matched with providers that are going to yield or have the highest likelihood of yielding an accurate diagnosis. And is this mainly an issue with the radiologist, you know, like the human resources part of the equation that is reading the film? Or is this an issue with the equipment? It's all of the above, and it depends on the practice. And so in some practices, you may have uh, top-of-the-line equipment that maybe they're not using it correctly or not, they may not, may not be optimizing it for high quality studies. In some practices, they may have really poor equipment, but really good radiologists are doing the best they can with the poor images that they're receiving. And so for, if I were sending my mother as an example to an imaging center, I wouldn't really optimize for one particular variable. I would wanna make sure that all the critical variables are optimized for her so that when she walks out, we have a high degree of confidence that we know what's going on with her. Well, let's talk about that high degree of confidence for a sec, because effectively, you know, another term for high degree of confidence might be what is the evidence-based medicine? What medicine or, or what diagnosis does the evidence suggest is correct based on a clinical foundation that has been proven? So you had mentioned orthopedic surgeons that, you know, you go to three orthopedic surgeons and you might get different answers. 
But the standard, you know, like that's why second opinions are a thing because you hope to go to multiple surgeons and get the same answer, which kind of confirms that the diagnosis or the treatment pathway that you're selecting is the, you know, evidence-based one. It's the correct one. It's the, the one that's most appropriate for you. But if you go to 10 diagnostic centers and you get 10 answers, then there's no, you know, corroboration of, of kind of anything. How do you figure out which one is in fact accurate? Like, how do you derive evidence-based medicine? I'd take the example that you provide about the orthopedic surgeons, and I would argue that the problem there exists as well. And, and it's not an issue that is particular to any specialty, meaning, yes, today, second opinion is the primary way patients and others will try to understand whether the recommendations provided to them are accurate uh, and should be pursued. But has anybody really done a study to say, okay, what is the validity of the second opinion? Do I get a third opinion? Would that third opinion agree with the second opinion? What happens if I get a fourth opinion? And when does that trail off? And how many doctors do I need to have a high level of certainty that I know that if I got another 10, it won't change the outcome, right? And I think that very few people, if any, that I'm aware of have really engaged in that sort of analysis. But that is exactly the sort of analysis that we engage in radiology, understanding that second opinion has that limitation where why should one rely upon that second physician who's agreeing with the first or disagreeing with the first? Because either they both may not have the right capabilities to identify certain pathologies, so they were agreeing with one another, or maybe the second physician does have better capabilities at reading a particular type of pathology, but how would we know that? From a data-driven perspective, what's stopping us from getting that third opinion? So we spend a lot of time and several years looking at patient-specific populations and the pathologies that they may present with and looking at what is the inter-observer variability across physicians. Stated differently, we would take one pathology on an MRI, take a herniated disc, which is something that many people suffer with throughout the country, and we would show that to not two radiologists, but we would show to 10 and 20 and 30 with the idea, what we wanted to understand is when do we reach a point where the level of agreement amongst the group is reaching a point where we don't feel we don't feel there'll be additional yield by getting additional opinions. And what we discovered through that process is that there are certain pathologies that you very quickly will get consensus. So you'll show it to four radiologists and you'll get a 90% agreement or 75% or, or agreement in that particular scenario. And as you, let's say, increase the pool size of folks that you'll show it to, it'll stay around 75%, which means you don't really need to increase the size. Whereas with other pathologies, what we discovered is that, and, and this really speaks to the subjectivity of different types of pathologies or the complexity in detecting different types of pathologies, that really was more of a toss of a coin where we would show it to second, third, fourth, and fifth physicians, and they would continuously disagree with each other about what they were looking at. And what that told us two things. One, there's very low detection skills generally in the community around these more subtle findings. And two, that means if a patient has this sort of finding, then one needs to think of a better way to diagnose this patient than just having a second opinion because the second opinion wouldn't have any value. So we did a lot of research around building a quality framework that can give us some statistical certainty around which pathologies we could detect through our framework compared to others that have a high degree of variability such that we would need another mechanisms to understand really what's going on with that patient. All right. So you're talking about your work with Covera Health. Yes. And what you were doing would be maybe to categorize diagnoses 
that required, let's just say, more effort. So you're trying to segment out, you know, these are the ones that we don't really have to worry about. Everybody can do a herniated disc pretty well. So we're not going to put a whole lot of effort into there. But what we do need to try to figure out how we're going to optimize is, as you said, the, the more subtle diagnoses that if you're crowdsourcing results, you need a pretty big crowd to be confident that you're going to gain a consensus or agreement around actually what is the the proper diagnosis here. Correct. But the other thing that we worked on, and this was a little bit of a scale issue, because at the end of the day, we can't have 10 physicians look at every patient with a subtle finding, right? That's just not scalable and it's not economical for the system. And so we spent a lot of time also trying to understand what relationships exist amongst certain types of providers their detection skills as it relates to certain pathologies and how those detection skills can be correlated with other pathologies. And so to give you a clear example, if it's a physician of type A, and by type A, I'm describing maybe the training they had, maybe the experience they have, so on and so forth. If that physician is able to detect, let's say, a herniated disc well, uh, nine out of 10 times, can we then test whether they can detect this more subtle finding nine out of 10 times by looking for those cases specifically to evaluate that correlation? Because once we can make that correlation, then we can understand predictively that this physician type will be successful at detecting this type of pathology. It sounds like, were you doing this kind of in practice? You were looking at actual MRIs or, or CT scans that these physicians read and determining, you know, based on actual work that they were doing, the acuity that they had. Or was this some kind of gigantic survey, you know, like a prospective survey where you were showing all these people the same film and asking them prospectively, like, hey, if you saw this in practice, what would you do? It's a little bit of both. A latter option is more limited because anytime a physician understands that they're engaged in that sort of process, they'll review that patient's films, uh, films in a very different way and introduces a lot of bias into the equation. And so most of our work really is about looking at how physicians actually perform day to day for patients that walk through their practice and analyze that data. Yeah, the old Hawthorne effect, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what data are you looking at there? So have you been given or gotten reams of what kind of data that you're able to do the analytics on? Because what we're building is first and foremost additive and supportive and in partnership with the provider community, we have been able to get from them data that they historically have not provided to others, which is the actual images. And so th those are often referred to as the DICOM images. We receive a lot of metadata associated with that, as well as the diagnostic reports of ultimately what did they opine as it relates to that patient's diagnosis. And so they're providing this data to us because they understand that we can ingest this data into our quality framework, then provide them very granular feedback as to the strengths and areas that may require improvements within their practice, such that they can actually improve the level of care in a very specific granular way on a day-to-day -day basis for the patients that they see. When you say provider organizations, who are you referring to there? I mean, are these large IDNs? Are these independent radiology centers or some kind of CIN? It's really, it crosses the entire spectrum. And so we have folks like Geisinger, if you think large health systems, to small radiology in centers in rural communities that may have three or four practicing physicians, to larger highly specialized community practices that may have 100 physicians. And so we have a very uh, broad spectrum of providers who are participating uh, within the program. 
I understand why Geisinger would be very concerned about this because they are in a, you know, risk-based model. And if the diagnosis is wrong, then, you know, people are getting back surgeries that don't need them. You know, all kinds of bad things happen when you're misdiagnosing someone and they run down a pathway a treatment pathway that is not going to help them because you're treating the wrong thing, right? Like, that's very, very obvious. If I'm a smaller radiology, you know, kind of an independent, I do radiology, I am specialized in radiology, and that's kind of it, and I'm sending out my reports to others, aside from the mission-driven better patient care, is there any sort of economic or reimbursement incentive or some kind of quality metric or incentive around accurately reviewing films? The answer is yes. And I think Geisinger, their interest is one, uh, for what you described, obviously they're in uh, risk-based uh, sharing, uh, risk-sharing models, of course. But they, like others, understand that within the world of radiology, one of the most difficult challenges they have is proving that quality matters. And in the absence of being able to prove that quality matters, payers, as the example you provided earlier on in this discussion, will engage in efforts to move patients from higher cost centers to lower cost centers without understanding quality. And so if you think about where does that progress? It progresses into radiology being perceived purely as a unit cost from unit cost perspective. And from the world of radiology who are looking to reinvest in better technologists and reinvest in better equipment and reinvest in better maybe AI you know, applications and so on and so forth, there's really no return provided to them from the pair community to say, oh, you're providing higher quality and therefore your reimbursement maybe should be a little bit higher than somebody else. And so they, they, they're looking to us to say we're building this standard that all stakeholders can agree upon that will ultimately, one, at a minimum, disrupt this commoditization infrastructure that exists from the payer perspective, but two, really lead them to a path of, of value-based care where higher quality is reimbursed accordingly, which of course is in the best interest of, of their patients. You're like a good housekeeping. I don't want to trivialize what you're doing because it's much more impressive than this, but you're almost like a good housekeeping seal of approval. If you have certified in some way that a radiology center has achieved a level of excellence and you've got the data to prove that they have, then that is a negotiating bargaining chip. Potentially for them with their payers, yes. And potentially long-term, it's something that they could use also to leverage with patients as they're trying to bring them to their practices versus, let's say, a competitor. And yes, maybe there is a way to say good housekeeping seal of approval, but today, nothing like that exists. And so it's not like, how do we create a better metric to measure quality, there is no metric to measure quality today. And so when a patient is redirected by a payer, the patient really has no way to understand, am I going from a center that's better to worse, worse to better? Is it a neutral effect? There's zero visibility into that. And that's really what we bring to the market, which the providers are very interested in. They for years have been struggling with quantifying quality one, to understand how to even build a more successful practice. And by successful, I mean where they're driving better outcomes. And similarly, payers are interested in this because if, if poor radiology is driving poor outcomes, they would want to understand that as well as they build programs to help patients get better. If I talk to your average 
orthopedic surgeon or, you know, someone who is typically gets boatloads of MRIs from all over the place. Do you think that there is an understanding, broadly speaking, that the caliber of the radiologist reading this may differ, that the diagnoses could be very disparate? You know, like, what is the level of recognition in just out there in the world right now amongst the providers who are receiving these MRIs that there is such a wide variety of skill? I I think it's generally low, depending on the universe that they live in. And so if they're in an academic medical center where many of their patients are coming in for second opinions and in that environment, they will bring with them their MRI, their pathology, whatever it may be to have that academic academic medical center review that information, there there's there's going to be a lot more visibility into this problem because then they have the opportunity to look at how are other people diagnosing these patients. For other physicians who are seeing patients, and and I think an orthopedic surgeon is a good example, their only opportunity to understand whether or not the radiologist made a mistake, I, I shouldn't say their only, they have two opportunities to do so. One, they may look at the films and disagree with the radiologist, and not to say that their opinion is necessarily better or more accurate or informed than the radiologist, but there may be a disagreement. Two, when they actually operate on the patient intraoperatively, they may see things that disagrees with what the radiologist says. So some of those physicians may have some awareness, but I would say broadly speaking, given that radiology really permeates every medical specialty and most of those physicians who are exposed to radiology don't have the opportunity to look at the patient intraoperatively, don't have the opportunity to look at the films, most of them are really unaware of this problem. And amongst payers, same story? You know, like the people who are actually making you know, network decisions or in charge of that department that's outreaching patients, you know, like go down the street, it's cheaper. So I would say the answer historically is yes, that not only were they not aware of this variability, but they were also convinced that variability didn't exist at all. And so they, they were very steadfast in, the, in this particular viewpoint, which is why they built all of these programs to move patients from higher cost to lower cost centers. Uh, given our efforts in the market and given Walmart's support of our efforts in the market, given the fact that they're the largest employer and, and typically very innovative in these sorts of arenas, there is today a much broader understanding in the payer community about this problem, which has resulted in a significant amount of inbound interest with respect to that community, asking us, can you quantify this a little bit better for us? Because what folks are thinking about now is as they build, whether it's center of excellence programs or locally based solutions for their employee population, They ask themselves, to what extent is radiology poor or high quality impacting the success of those programs in a way that maybe wasn't visible to them previously? All right, Ron, can you quantify this a little bit better for us? To what extent does radiology, in fact, impact the quality of of care that patients are getting, which obviously has cost implications? I mean, it's enormous. It it could be quantified in, in different ways, but if you look at an average population across, let's say, on a national basis. And if you think about how patients are typically selecting their imaging facilities, which is often based on convenience, so that's geographical considerations, recommendations from their physicians, which is also based on convenience, what's nearby to their physicians and where there's pre-existing relationships. And so if you look at that somewhat random distribution to imaging centers, if you then optimize that care to the extent where you say, no, I'm going to really be thoughtful about How do I send each individual patient to a particular imaging center where within that center, the entire experience is optimized for achieving the highest quality diagnosis or the most accurate diagnosis, I should state. 
And if you do that on a national basis, you could reduce the errors that these patients are, are experiencing. And we're, we're referring to clinically significant errors, errors that have the, a greater likelihood of impacting care by anywhere from 20 to 40%, depending on the geography. And so it's not trivial. And for a payer, they can save a significant amount of money by improving the outcomes of these patients by reducing the, the level of misdiagnosing uh, that's going on for their patient population. So what's Walmart doing? You had mentioned Walmart. Like, what does their foray into this area look like? So Walmart, I believe, had the advantage of launching many center of excellence programs across multiple domains for many years. And I think you spoke about this on, on some of your prior podcasts, but you know they have today bariatrics, they have spine, they have oncology, they have uh, various orthopedic centers of excellences. And what they've discovered through those programs is that there is a problem in radiology that often patients would go to a center of excellence after they failed some local level of care and now they're being recommended a two-level spine fusion at one of those centers of excellence where they're being told, it turns out that one, you don't need a two-level spine fusion. Two, the diagnosis that you received seven months ago when you began this journey and started receiving a particular type of conservative care was based on a misdiagnosis. And so they were very familiar with this problem when we initially presented to them. They didn't know exactly how to solve for it, but they knew there was a problem in radiology given the Center of Excellence programs. And so they were very much already ahead of the curve, if you will, as compared to others, because they were seeing this day in and day out. And so when we approached them, they were already thinking about this problem. And so they quickly worked with us to say, is there a way that we could implement a solution that would impact their entire patient population in the shortest period possible so that their patients would have the opportunity to achieve the right diagnosis to begin with, get better, and hopefully not even end up at a center of excellence because the care they received locally was the right care for them. And what did that solution look like? We've implemented with their insurance companies. And so as you can imagine, given their size and the number of people that they insure across the country, it's pretty much all the large payers. And so we've implemented with those payers that manage radiology on behalf of Walmart such that when a Walmart employee or a dependent is looking to get authorization for an MRI, and this is very seamless to the patient, quite frankly, the treating physician will go on a portal, which is what happens today in, in almost every circumstance where a patient's looking to get an MRI. And when they're seeking approval for that MRI based on whether or not the MRI is clinically indicated, which is not a question that we address, our centers then become the centers that's made available to that patient if there are centers in that community for that patient's injury or illness. And to give you a very particular example, if my physician is trying to get, giving that, using low back as an example again, if my physician is trying to get authorization for me for low back MRI, and there is a center that Covera designated that can provide the appropriate level of quality for low back MRIs in the community, those are the centers that are going to be made available to, available to the physician through that process to select. Well, that friend that I was talking about earlier, she works for a company that's covered by Haven Health. So perhaps you should call them. Thank you. <laughs> Anytime, Ron. One of the things that you mentioned was, air quotes, our centers. Do you have different centers for different, you know, for example, you've got the one that's really good for oncology and the one that's really good for, you know, orthopedic concerns. Or do you typically find that there is any given center that if they're good at one thing, they tend to be universally good? So it really depends on the community. Our, the way our system is built is certainly built around understanding centers at the specialty level. And so we ask ourselves for each and every specialty, 
are they appropriate for spine? Are they appropriate for brain? Are they appropriate for body? So on and so forth. And we'll ultimately include them in our programs based on that level of analysis. Now, to your point, there are some groups that will ultimately pass the test, if you will, for all of those areas. And some groups, for a variety of reasons, may not. In many communities across the country that are more rural in nature, as an example, they may have certain sorts of radiologists on staff that necessitates, uh, given the volume of, of cases that they have, rather. But they may not have a musculoskeletal specialist. They may not have one of them in-house. And so for that particular group, we may not designate them in that, in that area. Where can people find more information about Covera Health? Should they be interested in learning more, Ron? Well, certainly they should start with our website. And generally speaking, we also attend many of the uh, typical conferences, and we'd love for people to come up to us and ask us questions at those conferences. But for immediate contact, the website is really the best way to go, and it's coverahealth.com. Ron Vianu, thank you so much for being on the Relentless Health Value podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.